the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. This is Cornerstone Connection, the radio ministry of Pastor Gary Hamrick of Cornerstone Chapel in Leesburg, Virginia. Pastor Gary is teaching through Acts. Real love is calling, listen, truth opens up your eyes. Mercy is waiting for you with every sunrise. Too many times we get all fixated on, I want power. And what we should really want is the person of Jesus Christ. We should always want the giver more than we want the gifts, okay? We should always want the person more than we want power. Now, God can give us power and God can give us gifts, but we can't get those things backwards. Signs and wonders followed those who believed, okay? So we're not to be people who seek after those things. We're to seek the giver, we're to seek the person, and God will give the gifts and He'll give the power in His due time. We live in a world obsessed with power. It doesn't matter if it's fame, money, or success. Society says that nothing is more valuable than being in charge. Today in his message, Pastor Gary urges you to choose Jesus over power. No matter how good it feels, it'll always let you down. If you want to invest in something that will always matter, choose the everlasting love of God. He has a place prepared for you and wants to usher you into eternity with Him. Change your life and the world around you by accepting God's grace. At the close of Pastor Gary's message today, I'll be sharing with you how you can get a copy of today's broadcast of Cornerstone Connection. Subscribe to the podcast or get in touch with us. But for now, let's join Pastor Gary in the book of Acts chapter 1 with today's edition of Cornerstone Connection. Let's go to Acts chapter 1. A great book about the Acts of the Apostles, which really is a book about the Acts of the Holy Spirit through the Apostles. But this is a book that communicates to us the birth of the church. And in birthing the church, God knew that we would need someone more than ourselves. And so even as Jesus prepared to die and ascend into heaven... He told his disciples in John 14, 15, and 16 about the counselor, the comforter. He said, that won't come unless I go. But that's why he said, I don't leave you as orphans. Because you're you're not going to be able to do life as a Christian without the help of and the empowering of the Holy Spirit. You can get to heaven by knowing Christ as your Savior, but we all need the empowering of the Spirit as followers of Jesus. And we need to be emboldened by the Spirit as witnesses of Jesus. And so because the Lord knows that we need that empowering work, that dunamis, that's the Greek word for power, that word mentioned 12 times through the book of Acts, he gives to us his Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit we talked last is the third part of one singular God who reveals himself in three persons or three parts. God the Father, God the Son, Jesus Christ, and God the Holy Spirit. And so much of the book of Acts is about that third person of the Trinity, God the Holy Spirit. 
and the baptism of the Holy Spirit. So it's a wonderful book to remind us of the ongoing empowering of God's Spirit in the life of the believer today. Just by a quick summary of the first 11 verses that we looked at last from chapter 1 of the book of Acts, it tells us that Jesus remains on earth for 40 days after his resurrection. The Bible tells us in the Gospels and in Acts, and even Paul mentions in 1 Corinthians, that Jesus made many appearances over the course of 40 days following his resurrection. But then uh, it also tells us in these first 11 verses that Jesus reminds his disciples about waiting for the Holy Spirit and about being his witnesses. We talked about that. Jesus said in Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria and to the uttermost parts of the world. And, and so we have that mandate as well to be his witnesses first here in Leesburg, Loudoun County, Virginia and around the world. And then it tells us in the first 11 verses that Jesus returns to heaven from earth. Because the Lord Jesus came from heaven in that God appeared among us, walked among us, took on flesh, and died for us. But Jesus has always coexisted and been co-eternal with God the Father. So he ascends to heaven. He returns from the place that he came. And he ascends to heaven, it tells us here in chapter 1, from the Mount of Olives just east of Jerusalem. As the disciples are gazing intently, you know, you have to try to imagine that moment when Jesus just rises up in front of their eyes bodily, back up into heaven. The Bible says here that as they were looking, this is where we ended last in verse 10, that as they were looking intently into the sky as he was going, suddenly two men dressed in white stood beside them. That's, those are angels. And they said, men of Galilee, why do you stand here looking into the sky? This same Jesus who has been taken from you into heaven will come back in the same way you have seen him go into heaven. So the angels promise what Zechariah the prophet, hundreds of years before the ascension of Christ, predicted in Zechariah 14, that Jesus Christ will return to the Mount of Olives. When he comes again to the earth, he will come again to the Mount of Olives, and he will rule and reign in Jerusalem for a thousand years on earth. And then there will be a new heaven and a new earth, and we will be with the Lord forever. So interesting things happening here in the first chapter of Acts. Jesus ascends, he returns to heaven, and the angels promise the disciples who are watching, Jesus is going to come again. We should always be living in that wonderful imminent return of the Lord Jesus Christ. We should always be watching and ready for when the Lord may return. His disciples lived their lives in that way too, even though in their lifetime he wouldn't return. Uh, maybe he'll return in our lifetime, maybe not. I don't know. As I see things lining up between Russia and Iran, and it looks pretty much like Ezekiel 38 to me, I sometimes wonder, will we see the return of Christ in our lifetime? Will we be taken in our own lifetime? Well, Jesus had told his disciples there in the first 11 verses to wait in Jerusalem for the gift my father promised. So after they watched Jesus ascend back into heaven from the Mount of Olives, pick it up now in verse 11, or verse 12 rather, it says, and then they returned to Jerusalem from the hill called the Mount of Olives, a Sabbath day walk from the city. And when they arrived, they went upstairs to the room where they were staying those present were Peter, John, James, and Andrew, Philip and Thomas, Bartholomew and Matthew, James, son of Alphaeus, and Simon the Zealot, and Judas, son of James. 
they all joined together constantly in prayer, along with the women and Mary, the mother of Jesus, and with his brothers. In those days, Peter stood up among the believers, a group numbering about 120, and said, Brothers, the scripture had to be fulfilled, which the Holy Spirit spoke long ago through the mouth of David concerning Judas, who served as guide for those who arrested Jesus. He was one of our number and shared in this ministry. With the reward he got for his wickedness, Judas bought a field. There he fell headlong, his body burst open, and all his intestines spilled out. Thanks for that, all that detail. We really appreciate that. And verse 19 says, Everyone in Jerusalem heard about this, so they called that field in their language, Akaldama, which that, that is, field of blood. For, said Peter, it is written in the book of Psalms, May his place be deserted, let there be no one to dwell in it, and may another take his place of leadership. Let's pause there and take a look at the uh, at these verses between 12 and 26 here. First of all, where were they? As we look into these verses here, where were they? They go from the Mount of Olives back into Jerusalem, and it says there uh, in verse 13, when they arrived, they went upstairs to the room. Notice the direct article, the. This may in fact be the same upper room where they had the Last Supper with Jesus before he was crucified. We don't know for sure, but it kind of indicates that by the direct article, the. They went back to the room. It was that common room, that upstairs room in Jerusalem. And they're just going to wait there. Now, who is it that we find in this upper room on this occasion? Well, we, we know that there are about 120 believers. That's what it says in verse 15. There's a group of about 120 believers, and among them we have some names. Uh, those present in verse 13, Peter, John, James, Andrew, Philip, Thomas, Bartholomew, Matthew, J James, son of Alphaeus, Simon, the Zealot, Judas, son of James. Those are the 11 apostles. Those are the 12 minus Judas. So we have the 11 there. In addition, it says that they were joined along with the women, okay, again, the direct article, the, indicating that these were typically, probably, the women who traveled with Jesus and supported him with their means in ministry. The Bible says that there were some women who accompanied him during the course of his public ministry, who supported him with their own private means. So it probably is those women, and it also mentions Mary, the mother of Jesus, and Jesus's brothers, of course, we know that they would be his half-brothers because they shared the same mother, not the same father. By the way, the book of Acts is somewhat a book of firsts and lasts. You're going to see a lot of first-time things. You're going to see a lot of last-time things. This is one of the last-time things. This is the last reference to Mary, the mother of Jesus in the Bible. But please note, she is there in this upper room. She is among the 120. You have the 11, you have Mary, you have the women, you also have the brothers of Jesus. Now this is interesting. In Mark's Gospel chapter 6, it names four of Jesus' half-brothers by name, and it also says he had sisters, plural. So we had at least two sisters, because it's plural. So we had at least six half-brothers and sisters, four brothers at least two sisters who are mentioned in the Bible in Mark chapter 6. And when it talks about the brothers of Jesus in the Gospels, it first talks about them as skeptics. They did not believe in Jesus. They did not accept him as the Messiah. Something happened along the way. Perhaps it was 
you know, his crucifixion and rising from the dead, because if that doesn't do it, I don't know what else will. But something changed their minds and turned them from skeptics to believers. You know, I don't personally think poorly of them because they didn't believe that Jesus was the Messiah initially. I mean, you know it had to have been hard growing up in the house where Jesus was your older brother. Because can you hear the speech that, you know, mom or dad would give you if you're the half-brother, you're the younger siblings of Jesus as the oldest brother in the house, and you're the half-brothers, and all the time you're going to be hearing comments like, why can't you be like your brother? Why can't you? Mom and dad probably got them the T-shirts, you know, WWJD, right? What would Jesus do? Why don't you act like your brother from time to time? And you treat him like he walks on water because he does, you know? So that probably would have been a little twisted growing up in that house. So, you know, as they didn't initially believe, maybe it's because they're, you know, they grew up in a house where perhaps they're always compared to Jesus in that way. But at this point now they are believers because they're numbered among the 120 uh, in the upper room here uh, with Mary, their mother, and the women and the 11, 120 all together. And what were they doing? What they were doing was they were praying and waiting for the Holy Spirit. And we find also in this chapter here that they will also choose another apostle to replace Jesus. Now, remember, Jesus said to his disciples before he ascended, you just wait. You just wait in Jerusalem for the gift my father promised. And he said, in a few days, he said, John baptized you with water, but in a few days, you'll be baptized with the Holy Spirit. He didn't tell them exactly how many days. He just said, wait a few days. Wait a few days. Now, we end up knowing they end up waiting uh, 10 days, but they didn't know that. So they're just waiting. Oh, if we could simply learn the art of waiting on the Lord. Amen? We live in such a fast-paced world that we don't know how to wait for anything. I mean, do you get impatient at the drive through of a fast food restaurant? Are you kidding me? We're impatient because, you know, I said to our IT guy the other day, I said, Kevin, listen, when I pull up my Outlook mail, I need the folder to pull up instantly in my inbox. My inbox not pulling up right. And he, and he laughed with me and he says, yeah, because we need to save one click of that mouse, don't we? Yeah, because I'm in a hurry. I don't even want a one click. I want it to pull up automatically. So to wait on the Lord is a skill that we need to develop because we're not used to waiting on much of anything today. We want it now. We want it yesterday. And they're waiting. They're just waiting. And they're praying. It says there again, they joined constantly, verse 14, underlined constantly in prayer. That's what they were doing, constantly in prayer. So they go to this upper room. Imagine about 120 people. They don't know how long they're waiting. They're not even certain what it's going to look or feel like when the Holy Spirit does come. Although they weren't strangers to the Holy Spirit entirely. Because remember the gospel said that Jesus sent them out two by two on one occasion with authority, exousia, with authority to drive out evil spirits. And the Bible says they also anointed the sick with oil, and they recovered. That's when Jesus says, you know, don't, don't delight that 
demons respond when you cast them out, but rather rejoice that your names are written in heaven. So that's the greater thing, not the, not the authority that you exercise, but the greater idea is that you, you belong to me and you're going to heaven. That's the greater thing, not, not power, okay? So too many times we get all fixated on, I want power. And what we should really want is the person of Jesus Christ. We should always want the giver more than we want the gifts. Okay? We should always want the person more than we want power. Now, God can give us power and God can give us gifts, but we can't get those things backwards. Signs and wonders followed those who believed. Okay? So we're not to be people who seek after those things. We're to seek the giver. We're to seek the person. And God will give the gifts and he'll give the power in his due time. So they weren't strangers to the Holy Spirit. But you have to imagine, they're 120 people. They're praying together. They're waiting day after day after day. But they, and they're not entirely sure what this is going to look and feel like. One of the things I think is remarkable about this story is that 120 Christians actually stayed together, you know, for a couple of days in the same room and didn't bite each other's heads off. They all joined together in unity, it says here. They were all in one accord, the King James Version says. So here they are, meeting together, waiting on the Lord. Now, Peter interrupts the prayer meeting. And I have to be honest with you, there's debate here on the rest of this chapter as to whether or not Peter was really operating in the spirit or in the flesh. And that shouldn't surprise us entirely because there were a couple occasions, if you remember, in the Bible when Peter sort of acted out of the flesh, not always out of the spirit. He was kind of an impulsive guy who said things and did things first and then thought about it later. So we're not really sure here if this is directed by the Lord or if this is just Peter's idea because at some point he gets up we don't know how many days into this, day one, day two, day six into it. But he gets up before the Holy Spirit falls upon them. He gets up and he says, you know what? We got to do something here because there's some scripture verses that we have to fulfill. And he quotes some scripture verses here uh, out of Psalms. Uh, look at verse 20. Peter said, it is written in the book of Psalms. May his place be deserted. Let there be no one to dwell in it. And may another take his place of leadership. By the way, in the category of firsts and lasts, this is a first. This is the first time we ever see in the Bible Peter quoting Scripture. It's kind of interesting. Peter says a lot of things in the Gospels. This is the first time we ever see him quoting Scripture. So he quotes here from the Psalms, two different places in the Psalms, Psalm 69 and Psalm 109, and he uses those verses as the basis for why they need to select a replacement for Judas. He says, all right, all of us are aware that Judas isn't with us anymore. He was the one who betrayed Jesus. Peter makes this uh, comment in verse 18, which, which almost looks like a contradiction of Scripture, so let me, let me explain it. When In verse 18, Peter says, With the reward he got for his wickedness, with their Judas was paid for betraying Jesus, 30 pieces of silver. It says that Judas bought a field. Okay, now, Judas bought a field indirectly. Because what the Gospels tell us in Matthew 27, 7 to 8, is that when Judas returned the money to the religious leaders because he got convicted about what he had done, 
it says that the religious leaders took that money and they bought a field. Okay, so it's not a contradiction. Judas indirectly buys the field with the money he received because he returns it to the religious leaders. They buy the field. The other part in here that looks a little funny is because it tells us in the Gospels that Judas hanged himself. And in this passage, it says that he that Judas fell headlong, his body burst open, and all his intestines spilled out. It almost sounds like you know he jumped off a cliff and committed suicide. So which is it? Was he hanged or fall headlong and his you know body burst open and uh, his intestines spill out? Did I mention that his intestines spilled out? It's not a contradiction. Here's the idea. The idea is that he's he hangs himself somewhere over cliff side area, and either he doesn't get the noose right. And he slips out of it, or the rope breaks, and then he falls. Or in the process of hanging himself, not to get too graphic, but after a while, after some decay sets in, kind of the rest of your body separates from your head, and uh, you can then fall, and his corpse then burst open. And I don't know if I mentioned this, but all his intestines spilled out. So it's not a contradiction, but it's you know more of a graphic explanation. Now... Peter quotes now the Psalms. We've got to replace Judas. We don't have anybody here. And so we need to select somebody. And he said there in verse 21, Therefore it is necessary to choose one of the men who have been with us the whole time. The whole time the Lord Jesus went in and out among us, beginning from John's baptism to the time when Jesus was taken up from us. For one of these must become a witness with us of his resurrection. Now I want you to notice that when he quotes scripture here, uh, what Peter actually ends up doing is he mentions the inerrancy and the inspiration of scripture. These are the kind of things that, you know, but it's worth mentioning here because in verse 16, if you'll back up to verse 16, when he, when he first starts this little speech, he says, brothers, the scripture had to be fulfilled which the Holy Spirit spoke long ago through the mouth of David concerning Judas. And then this is when he quotes the Psalms that David wrote. Although David never by name mentioned Judas, when Peter quotes these Psalms, he believes that it applies to Judas and that David was speaking prophetically. But if you'll notice there, he mentions the inerrancy of Scripture, Peter does, because he says the Scripture had to be fulfilled. If the Bible contradicts itself, then it's not without error. But it is without error because the Scripture must be fulfilled. So Peter is saying there's a fulfillment of the words of David prophetically, and that's what gives credibility to the inerrancy of Scripture. The other thing he says there is related to the inspiration of Scripture because he said, which, notice, which the Holy Spirit spoke long ago, through the mouth of David, okay? When David penned the Psalms, which is the case for any human instrument who penned Scripture, they are simply being the vessels of the Holy Spirit. It is the Holy Spirit of God who is inspiring people to write the words, to communicate the totality of the message that God wants to communicate. Now, it isn't necessarily that God, you know, that any writer's like in a trance. Okay, don't think of it like that. You know, that like a writer's just kind of in a trance. And, uh, you know, J.K. Rowling said that she got inspiration like that. And she wrote uh, her books by being in a trance. Okay, so, you know, take that for what it is. That's not the idea of Scripture. When, when human vessels were instruments of inspiration, 
God used their God-given personality and their, their intellect and who they were and their life experience to communicate the clear message that God wanted to communicate. But it's not like, you know, someone had a pen, a quill pen, and like, you know, they had no control over their head. That's not inspiration, okay? The Bible says in 2 Peter 1.21, 2 Peter 1.21, no prophecy had its origin in the will of man, but men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. Thanks for listening to Cornerstone Connection. What you've heard today is just one message from series going through the book of Acts. Pastor Gary has provided some insightful information about the early church, and you can't help but be inspired by what you read about as the Christian church was birthed. Who are the people you admire and look to as examples of courage and faith? Is it Peter or maybe James being the first martyr? How about Stephen and the example he set? Or perhaps you're a fan of Aquila and Priscilla, a great model of a couple who followed after Jesus. Then there's the all-famous Apostle Paul, who paved the way for much missionary work to the nations. All of these people were striving to proclaim the good news of the gospel. And we hope your heart is ignited to do the same. You can reach people too, near and far, in your neighborhood, online, and even those across the world. And if you feel the Lord leading you as he did Paul, you may even find yourself following the Lord to witness in another country. In the meantime, you're welcome to listen to more messages from this series in Acts. You can do so by going to cornerstoneconnection.cc. We're so glad you've tuned in today to Cornerstone Connection. General Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. 
with in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com, salemnow.com.